0: Welcome to the Authors Who Lead podcast. This podcast is dedicated to you, people who want to be inspired by authors, leaders, and the messages they share. This is such an important podcast to us because we help uncover what goes on behind the scenes when authors are writing their book. We talk about the process. We talk about where they get big ideas, and you can listen in on those conversations. We can't wait for you to join us. So let's get started everyone, welcome back to another episode. I'm thrilled today to have a dear friend on the show and I can't wait for you to hear her story. Her name is Madison Reeves. She's a top producing real estate agent and awardee of the top 100 leaders in real estate. She's the founder and CEO of The Bridal Project and The Reeves Method. She believes in helping other entrepreneurs, leaders accelerate their business and lives. Madison grew up in a poor neighborhood in a small town but was determined to prove to everyone that she could fulfill her potential as you fulfill yours, and regardless of where you come from, you can do it. As a college dropout and getting fired from several jobs, she had seemingly no direction in life. But it wasn't until Madison discovered entrepreneurship and creating a life she loved that helped uh, show her she had a true calling and a purpose in life. Now she wants to help others and wants to share the liberation of this extraordinary life with people all around. Her new book, Project Badass, Breaking out of your comfort zone to transform from average to extraordinary is what we'll be talking about today. Madison, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Azul. I'm so excited for this episode.
0: Yeah. You know what's great is that I was trying to, I was like, when did we meet? It was over a year ago.
1: Yes. And
0: you had this inkling that you wanted to write a book. Now, that's where I want to pick up here because we'll, we'll dive into your story that how you got started in entrepreneurship. But let's talk about the moment where you first decided to, to write a book and then we're going to go backwards to learn more about you.
1: Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So I've always had the idea that I'd love to write a book and become an author. I was that kid who brought a novel with me when we went out to dinner and read it underneath the table because I just couldn't put it down. So I've always been a reader and did a lot of creative writing classes throughout high school. But I didn't really know what I wanted to do or how to do it, frankly. Um, And I actually listened to a podcast where you were a featured guest on there, Zul. And I cannot remember for the life of me what podcast that was. (laughs) Right. But I was like, okay, I think that's the universe telling me it's time to actually get this together and make it happen. So I think I messaged you on Instagram after that. And we've kind of started on the process since then.
0: Right. And you were one of our coaching groups where you know a whole cohort of people came together, um, and said, hey, we're all writing a book and kind of starting at the same time together. And I, you knew you had a book in you, but you weren't exactly sure what it should be about completely. In fact, we we meandered through a diff, couple different ideas. But I thought the most fascinating thing about you is is the fact that, well, at the time of this recording, you're 20 years old, but when yes, we met, yeah. you were just had just turned 19. Yep. You were a successful real estate agent and training others. You had already been through a relationship a marriage that had ended. You got moved out of your home at a young age, but you weren't brought up with all this success. You weren't brought up with this idea that you would be super successful, you would you know get the drive around in your Tesla, get to inspire other people <laughs> what what was it that made the shift for you when you were trying to figure out this different mindset
1: yeah, so I actually remember this moment pretty specifically. So I was going to be a professional ballerina. That's what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I ended up not going that route of leaving my hometown and going to secondary schooling to pursue this. And I ended up staying there, getting married, and um, I taught ballet to students instead. And I loved what I did and I, you know, my life was exactly as I, as it was going to be expected for me. But I was actually <laughs> one of my very first places that I lived in after moving out on my own. It was like this crappy trailer in this mobile home park that was just cheap enough that I could afford it, but a little bit too expensive. That made me really uncomfortable. So I was trying to think about, is this going to be the way that it's going to be forever? Am I going to be? just barely making rent and eating ramen noodles for the rest of my life. And that so that was kind of a pivotal moment to, I need to figure out exactly what's going to give me the life that makes me feel like dancing did. And what I was doing wasn't giving me that.
0: Let's talk about that for a second. So obviously to be on the track to be a professional ballerina, you had to have been committed pretty early. Was it something that your parents encouraged you to do? Or were you just totally... One of those children that loved to dance.
1: Yeah, I was just one of those children who loved to dance. Um, if you ask my mom, she'd she'd tell you that I was dancing in front of the TV at a young age, and I had older cousins who we went to dance recitals with, and you know, watch them perform. I used to dance out in the aisles and you know make a a ruckus of everything. Okay. So it's been kind of something that I've always wanted to do. And my mom put me in ballet lessons when I was oh I don't know probably four or five. And I got into it really seriously when I was about 10 and started competing. And uh, when you start competing and going on the track of professional, it's a full-time job, so.
0: Right. So you went from this, you know, obviously uh, aspiring ballerina and then made a different choice, didn't go away to college to, to do dance, but stayed in the same small town and started living on your own, got married and things were a little different than you expected. What was it that then started to open up your mind that I don't have to live this life in this trailer park and actually kind of do what everyone else thought I would do?
1: Yeah. So actually, I was just thinking about this the other day. It's funny that this is one of the questions. So I was doing some social media management for a company that was out of a a bigger town in a different part of South Dakota. So it was a remote job for me. And I was right out of high school. It wasn't something that was paying the bills full time, but it was something that I was just an extra little bit of work that I was adding on top of everything else to kind of help make ends meet. And I got to do that job from my couch, or the coffee shop, or pretty much anywhere I could find internet. And I thought, man, this is really cool. Imagine if I could do this work for all of these different clients to actually replace my full time income, never have to report to anybody else and be able to work from a coffee shop every single day. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of what got me stuck on entrepreneurship.
0: Just that first side hustle, that first beginning gig that you decided to realize that. So Absolutely. then, how, how did you how did you get move into real estate? Because that's actually I'm sure you were one of, if not the youngest agent, probably around, maybe still are. Well, how did yeah. you get into that? And like <laughs> how did how did that come to be? Because there are lots of real estate agents, and when the market's booming, everybody thinks they want to sell real estate. It's, but not everyone is successful. So, what what was it about you that or that drew you to real estate?
1: Yeah, so um, my ex husband and I actually bought our first home when I was seventeen, and I really liked the process. So I reached out to the people who sold me real estate, and I said, "Hey, this is something that I think might be, a you know, something that I might be interested in for a career. What can you tell me about it?" and you have to be 18 to be able to get licensed. So I was a couple months, I think I was two or three months away from being 18 at that point. And I actually took a leap of faith, quit my jobs, all of them, and started doing classes for real estate full-time. And I started kind of helping out, training, shadowing agents with the brokerage that I'm with now until I turned 18. And I'm pretty sure the day after my 18th birthday, I think it was the day after, I went and took all of my tests. And passed it, got everything in a couple weeks later and uh, got licensed about a month later and started selling.
0: Hmm. How did you, I mean, obviously, started selling is one thing. I think I hear the statistics is like some agents may sell a house, single house in one year in the first year if they're yep. lucky. How did you manage to be successful at without having the same experience maybe that some agents that have been doing it a while?
1: Yeah. So a couple of things there. So the first one was I sold... Five houses in six months. Most of them were to family and friends. I grew up in a town of like 5,500 people. So everybody knew everybody. And at that six month mark, I was unhappy in the career because I wasn't making the money that I wanted to be making. And I felt like I was just kind of treading water barely. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I sat down and I go, okay, Madison, you're either going to. You need to figure out what you're going to do. You're either going to get out of real estate and figure out what the what the next thing is for you. Or you're going to change teams because I was on a team at that point. Or you're going to become a single agent. And we have in Keller Williams, a training that we do every single year in February called Family Reunion. Um, last couple of years, we obviously haven't traveled. But normally, we travel out of state. This year, I traveled down to Dallas. And I went to this training and I said, Okay, I'll make a decision after I do this training. Went there. And it completely changed my life because that's actually how I got in contact with the team that I'm on now. And not intentionally at all. They happened to be hanging out with the group that I was with. They were talking about all the great things that this team was doing, the statistics of the new agents that were completely mind-blowing. And I go, okay, this is who I need to be with. So I got home. I decided, maybe it's... Let's try a different team. Let's see if this is successful reached out to them and ended up joining the team and I actually sold 38 homes in 8 months after joining them. So, and I contribute that just to a big part of it is the mindset that they they kind of help you grow your mindset and how you need to be looking at your business and your goals and all of that and then of course just the training. All of businesses is, is a combination of systems and they have great systems. So, yeah, that's kind of how that started. And they have a lot of growth opportunity too, to be able to kind of move up in the company and figure out what's you're really passionate about. So,
0: you're Right, that's that's amazing. To sell 38 homes in that little time, I'm sure everyone around you is like, wait, what's going on with this? Amazing <laughs> young
1: person? I didn't yeah. even know what was going on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think what you just said in the, in, in, as you described that was that you were, it was really about the mindset. And that's a great deal of what Project Badass, your book's about, is about yes. transforming this, way we think and see the world to have a different view. A lot of our worldview comes from the way we're brought up. Uh, You mentioned in your book that this wasn't how you were raised. You weren't raised with this wealthy mindset. Tell us about that transformation and has it caused any challenges or brought blessings in ways that you didn't expect?
1: Yeah. So both challenges and blessings. So I am completely and utterly a Different person than I was before I went through this like massive mindset and like self discovery, for lack of better words. I was before, I guess the Madison before, which is the kind of the verbiage we use in the book, was doing exactly as I was expected to be and how I was raised. I got married young to my high school sweetheart and that was expected. It was, you know, it was kind of one of those things like you guys were together for a very long time. What you do next is you settle down and you get married and then eventually you have some kids. And I was working a job that was making me, I don't know, $12, $13 an hour, which is to me at that time was good money and what I was expected to do. Buying a house at the age that I did was leaps and, you know, (laughs) beyond what I was expected to do. So that was kind of the first part of it. I think that's what got me into real estate. And now, I mean, I'm a, like I said, I'm a completely different person. The way that I view life, the outlook that I have, the beliefs and goals that I have for myself in the future is like 360 degrees the other way. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't even recognize me if you knew me before. So I think that would be really, it's really hard for people who knew me before, you know, because I've i changed and I'm not that person anymore. So challenges would be, I lost a lot of friends and a lot of family members who didn't agree with the things that I, person I changed into and the things that I now value and put my time into. So, All right.
0: And I think that's maybe that's some of the fear that some people have about taking such a big leap. I mean, I think that's why your book's entitled "Project Badass." This isn't for project weak-minded, simple thinking. Yeah, you know, not that this isn't for everyone, but I'm saying this is an intentional decision to break free from a life that is average. What do you notice when? Because you know, maybe you don't have as many peers your age anymore if you're working in real estate at 20 years old, one of the top performers. How do you find yourself? Like, where do you find your tribe of people that you feel like are other badasses that are going to do this work?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, the majority of people that I surround myself with are people who i who I work with, who is in the entrepreneurial field, in that you know business owner, whatever that looks like, and in real estate. In all reality, you don't got a lot of time to have a social life outside of work. So, a lot of my friends are those people who have the same growth minded mindedness that I do that works on the same team that I, that I work on. Besides that, I think it's just putting out into the world what you want to attract, right? So if you're wanting to attract the people who are like minded, you know, who are entrepreneurial, who are growth mindset, you got to put that out into the world and they'll come to you. But a lot of it also is just cutting out the people who don't serve that. I mean, you are, what is the saying? You are made of the top five people you spend the most time with. So surrounding yourself with people who are, you know, where you are, where you want to be having the same growth mindset, that type of deal versus someone who's going to, you know, I wish you were the way you were before, or, you know, you have such different mindsets. Who do you think you are? That kind of thing. So.
0: Yeah. Isn't it interesting that people, when you start to become successful and you talk about this in your book, and maybe you can kind of explain the analogy of the crabs in the bucket. When you start to realize, Hey, we don't want to all sit in this bucket. We can actually get out And you start to make changes, you start to have success, you start to drive a better car or dress different or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. What is that concept where people kind of want to pull you back down and how did you overcome
1: that? Yeah. So that would be referred to as the crab bucket theory, which like you said, we talk a lot about in project badass. So basically what that is, is if you were to put one crab in a bucket, it can get out no problem at all. But if you put more than one crab in a bucket, whether it's two crabs, five, 10, full to the top, and they try to climb out and pull themselves out of the bucket, they physically cannot because the other crabs pull them back down. And when I discovered this theory, it really rubbed me the wrong way because I'm like, well, what are the crabs? You know, What's the problem? Why can't they just let each other get out and move on with their life? But a lot of it is psychologically, they don't know that they are actually holding this other person back. It's how they reflect on themselves and how it makes them feel. So, And the theory is that humans are the crabs in the bucket, and the bucket is our comfort zones, the environment, the people we surround ourselves, whatever is holding us back from that bigger, better, and extraordinary life that we will see for ourselves. So this happens with anybody who starts to see success. They lose friends. They lose family members. People start to look at them differently. People start to gossip about them because they're the crabs in the bucket trying to pull them back down. And it's not really anything that you should take personally. I certainly try not to because they're not doing it because of you. They're doing it because of how they feel about themselves.
0: Right. And that's a big, a big thing to notice. Like I think I mean, I don't think any of my other friends that aren't in my current life probably even listen to this podcast, but I don't hear a lot from them. Right. Mainly because <laughs> every time they see me on social, I'm some part of the world or I'm with another author or publishing books. And I think there's a little bit of intimidation, like, Like you said, who do you think you are? Or, well, that's for them. I you know it would never happen for me. Even if I offered any help, I think it would be resistance. What do you do or what do you, you can even talk about how you you talk about this in the book. What are the first steps? Someone who's like, I want that life. You know, I want to have wealth. I want to have success. I don't want to feel guilty about it, but Mm -hmm. I'm alone. I don't have anyone around me. What are some of the first steps you, you recommend they do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the first step that I would say is recognizing that no matter where you are, if you're looking to create a better extraordinary life for yourself, you first need to discover that you are first come to terms, I guess, with the fact that you are stuck in this crab bucket, or stuck in this comfort zone, and exactly what is holding you there. So we actually have an exercise in the book that allows you to fully flesh that out. Who, what, when, where, like, what exactly is keeping you from doing that? Is it your mindset? Is it the people you're surrounding yourself with? Is it the environment that you're in? Is it a combination of all? Because how are you supposed to be able to actually defeat those to get onto that better life if you don't first know what
0: those are? Right. What were they for you? Because man, well, the way you said it, I was like, you might have to do, change all of those things because everything you listed were something you had to change. How did you know yeah. what to tackle first?
1: <laughs> well... It first was just the people in my life. And I think that it came pretty obvious to me. I'm spending my time working on building my businesses, reading books and going to, you know, conferences and trainings to better myself. I'm working on, you know, casting a vision for the goals that I want in my future. And then the people that I was spending my time with were partying every weekend and prioritizing alcohol and drugs over you know, bettering themselves and improving their whatever they're doing. They didn't have a career. They didn't have any sort of goals or trajectory forward. And if that's the way that you want to live, that's fine. But that's not the way that I want to live. And I don't want to surround myself with those type of people. So I think that was the first one. And the hardest part for me and what I expect a lot of people listening to this podcast or reading the book or going through this transformation is those people are going to be your best friends and they're going to be your family members. And that's really hard.
0: Yeah. I think that's it's hard when people there's just a twinge of doubt, even if they seem supportive. Like, so how's it going? You're mm-hmm. like, mm, that seems a little loaded the way you say that. Because <laughs> if you say great, they're like, mm-hmm. so you're selling houses. Like, I feel like yep. that's the, the conversation that starts to happen. So how's that going? It's almost like they're waiting for you to fall and go see, see. Yeah. Well, a job. I told
1: you so. Yep. You exactly.
0: So. So. And that this is just you know this is luck. We'll see when it runs out. But as you started to grow and as, as when at the point when I met you, I remember specifically we were on a call chatting and I just, just explaining what our programs were like and what writing a book was, you know, what to expect. And you're like, yep, I, when I say I do it, I do it. I just put my line to it. And I figure it all out. And no, I got this. And I was really impressed by you because I didn't know many 19-year-olds that, one, write books, and two that had such a strong determination. Is that something you developed, that strong determination, or is it something you've had for a while?
1: I wanna say a little bit of both, but I'm also a product of my environment and how I grew up. And a lot of how I grew up was having to kind of rely on myself. And I actually give my mom a lot of credit for that because she very much raised independent adults. And I think that that helps a lot. But as you start to realize success as well, I started to, you know, succeed in things. I sold my first house, I started my first business and I go, Okay, wow, I can actually do this. So all of the things that I wanted to do isn't just a pipe dream. It's actually something that I can, you know, put into fruition. And having that, that proof, that validation, that if I do, if I set my mind to do something that I can actually do, it goes like, okay, well, why can't I continue to do that? Why can't I push myself further and further?
0: Yeah. No, that's great that you, you kind of had a sense of where it came from. One of the things that I, I can hear people maybe wondering or thinking is, Oh, that's great that you, you could sell millions of dollars worth of homes, you know, be 19, buy your own house. That's you. You're, you're special. And you talk a mm-hmm. great deal about that you come from this small town, but you also bring with you some, some past trauma that isn't like easy to just wash over. How do you speak to people who think that, well, yeah, but you don't understand how my life is to help them understand why you were able to pull yourself out when your surroundings weren't necessarily giving you any help.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, That was like, I think I told you, Azul, when we were working through the manuscript, that was my biggest worry, is that I'm going to write this book and then people are going to go, okay, well, that's Madison. She can do that, but I can't. And I absolutely do not want that to be even a a thought in any of the reader's mind. And that's why I, I share so much about my personal story and all of the things that I've experienced, not to gain pity or feel have people feel bad for me, but just to show the fact that it doesn't matter where you come from, if you put your mind to it, and you do the work that needs to be done, you can be successful. So I grew up in a town of 5,500 people. And as most small towns are, there's certain things that come with them in terms of the mindset and the expectations of you as you're growing up. In fact, a lot of people who are raised in that town continue to live in that town. And that's just the way it is. I also grew up in a family that didn't have a lot. Money, Or, you know, whether that be money or actual material things, I never went through the fact that I never had food on the table. I always had a roof over my head, clothes on my back, but it was just, we didn't have a lot extra past that. And more than that, we didn't have the mindset to continue to better ourselves. So I think it's it's just dreaming big and and having that want for something bigger and better. And then just not taking no for an answer, honestly.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, and that's definitely something that I could say and attest to here. You're like, I'm going to figure out this, even if it's difficult, even if it's Mm -hmm. hard. So as you're, you know, being 20 years old and having written a book and be successful, I think a lot of people could probably, you know, would probably say, well, we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll hold it back. But I think your aspirations are even bigger than what you have now. And there's many people now that go, gosh, if I could just have her life now, I'd be doing great. But I think you're the kind of person who has bigger aspirations. Do your bigger aspirations still scare you?
1: Oh, they terrify me. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually just doing my goal planning for 2022. And I do this exercise known as PPF. It's personal, professional, and financial goals for one year, three years, and five years. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay, five years from now, 2027, I'll be 26, just turned 26. What do I need to do to continue to push towards that extraordinary life? And I use that term a lot in the book. And I don't feel that I've realized that extraordinary life yet.
0: Well, what would it so, look like? Like, what is what's When you picture it, where does it start to come into focus for you?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm living my life now by design. I'm able to make my own choices. I'm not bound to certain hours that I have to go in and work for someone else. Every choice that I make every single day is something that I make for myself, by myself, for my future. So I'm not ignorant to the fact that the life that I live now is leaps and bounds beyond what I had even a year ago, but it's just not enough for me. And I don't think that for this to not come off the wrong way, I'm not sure that if it will ever be enough, because I always want to continue to push and... Realize my full potential. I think that every single one of us were put on this earth to be able to do something bigger than themselves and help other people. And if I really, that's what I want. It's never enough. I need to continue to push and reach more people and help more people and help them realize what I realized as well and how they can, you know, come to fruition with their extraordinary life and whatever that means to them.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. I had another guest on the podcast. Her name was Rachel. Richards and she's I think at the time we recorded she was twenty seven years old. She was a financial advisor, but she retired at Mm twenty-seven and quit her job and with over ten thousand dollars of passive income is able to do it. Her book called Money Honey is about how she did that. And it's really inspiring and also probably intimidating to people who are twice as old or her thinking, I don't even think I can retire in twenty years from now, and here is this twenty seven year old. It is all about this mindset and about understanding the simplicity. And I think the generation You know that have gone, you know yours and and the ones just after will have a different way of thinking about the world. What advice do you have for people when they're thinking about building a a list of dreams or their life the way they see it? Because I'm sure there are things that get in the way. I think people probably struggle with seeing beyond what their means let them think about.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's starting starting with the bigger picture, right? Because I. If you would have asked me this question before I went through this transformation and before I became the person I am now, now, I would have went, well, I, there's no way I have the skills to make that kind of money or that stuff just doesn't happen for the type of person like me. So I encourage everybody to just sit down and what does your life look like in 10 years? And then we need to just reverse engineer it. So if this is where I want to be in 10 years, then 5 years, I need to hit these benchmarks so that I'm on track for that 10-year goal. And then 3 years, and then 1 year, what needs to happen in the next 12 months? It's a lot easier to break things down into these granular tasks where it makes it super, super simple, right? Success is simple, not easy. If you've got your list out in front of you of, I know without a shadow of a doubt, if I complete... These five things or whatever it might be, I'm going to achieve this task, which will put me on track to my five and 10 year goal. That's going to make things a lot more manageable. So, you know, maybe that's retiring. What needs to happen in these time increments to make that happen?
0: Right. I think it's all about what you really want. Maybe that's what people are really missing in your book. You really do help people think about, well, what do you want? What's the life Mm -hmm. that you want? And, you know, it sounds like an easy, it should be an easy exercise. But so many people, maybe because of the the crab bucket kind of analogy you made, it's difficult um, yep. to discover what it is about their lives that they'd actually want. You talk about these tools to thrive. And so you talk about one of the principles is having something bigger than yourself. Why is it so important to have that thing that's larger than you?
1: So as you can imagine, I'm sure you feel this, Azul, and I certainly do. There's some days where you wake up. You hit snooze on your alarm and then you lay there and you go, man, I really don't want to get up and I do not want to do anything today. I don't want to have responsibilities. I don't want to have to do the things that I need to do. What's going to push you to continue to put yourself out of your comfort zone and be better and better is that thing that you're working for that's bigger than yourself. If it's just for a paycheck, if it's just for yourself, you're not going to do it. There's going to be days where it's just too hard, it's just too difficult, and you don't have anything to fight for. So having that that something, whatever it may be, that's bigger than you, and, and we discover that in the book, it's called your big why, that's going to propel you forward through those difficult days. I mean, it just depends on what field you're in and what you're doing, but everybody has difficult days. For real estate, if I didn't have that big why to push me forward when I got the phone call that a million-dollar deal is falling apart, all I'd want to do is go back to bed. I still feel that way, but then I have to remind myself: okay, Madison, you're not working for you; you're working for something bigger.
0: Right. That's such a good i a good way to think about it. Not only having the goals for short term, long term goals, but having a bigger purpose outside of the work you do. I know for us here at Officer Lead, you know, our motto is to people over paper always. Even though we work with books, we really feel like it's the people we're here nurturing, not the pages. But also, the mission is that we want to help impact a million people through the authors we help because we figure if we can help the right authors, they'll impact tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, however many millions. Sometimes, so if we we know that our work is bigger than us, as you said, that helps us mm-hmm. show up, helps us add team members when we're afraid. Are we really ready to add team members? Are you really ready to ever? Probably not. <laughs> right? <laughs> there's
1: no right time.
0: Right? I love
1: there's no right time
0: in the book. You are a badass when the author talks about how she bought a car when she wasn't quite ready to because mm-hmm. she wanted to be in the life she wanted in this moment, not when someday comes. And I think, you know, yes, there is some logical reasons to be conservative with your money and be thoughtful, but there also is a mindset that, that you talk about in your book that there is a subconscious mind that you have to retrain. And if you if you can't allow yourself to afford luxuries you like, for example, here's an example I'll give and you can then tell us why the subconscious mind is so powerful. It's like if you go out to a restaurant, I was having this conversation with somebody just yesterday and uh, you see something on your menu, you're like, ooh, I'd love that. And you just get it. A lot of us who have like a, maybe a poverty mindset or a mindset that's awful, go, what's the cheapest things here? And of the cheapest things here, what do I want? As opposed to what do I really want here and get it if I want it? Even if I had... The money, sometimes my brain was still wired to look for the cheapest thing or decide based on that, let alone if I really want it or not. Tell us about why training your subconscious mind is so important.
1: Yeah. So your subconscious mind, it receives information from your day-to-day surroundings as facts. So just like an affirmation, if I tell myself that I am going to be wealthy, my subconscious mind is going to receive that as a fact and act upon it. And if I, on the flip side, if I tell myself that, you know, I've had chicken six times this week, but I can't afford the steak. So I'm going to have chicken for the seventh time. Your subconscious mind is going to believe that you cannot afford that steak. And you might desire to have that, but you have to put things out in front of it in order to believe it as fact. So it's really important to train your subconscious mind to the life that you want to live and not the life that you are currently living. So that you can continue to grow and they can receive that as fact and act upon it.
0: Right. It's really hard to fathom because if you're if you're listening to this and you have you're not an entrepreneur and you still earn a paycheck, you can kinda be lulled into a comfort zone to believe money just shows up when I show up to this job. And that's kind of how it works. Mm -hmm. But when you're on your own, you're an entrepreneur and you really feel the effects of making money, not making money, if you still have that employee mindset and you think, oh no, the sky's falling and you don't solve the problem. Then you can really start to implode in your subconscious because RCC. I told you all those voices of the people you left behind start to show back up. See, I told you 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 weren't going to do this. Or see what happens when? How do Mm -hmm. you deal with this growth mindset? What are the one of the best ways in which someone listening says, "Look, I I really want to do this, and I've tried before, but I'm kind of stuck."
1: Yeah. So whether you're a new entrepreneur or someone who wants to get into the field or someone who's been in the field for twenty years and you're just hitting a plateau, I think it's just having those tools, locked and loaded and ready for those days that you're going to have where you're questioning yourself, you're doubting the decisions you made. Maybe I should just go get a job. Maybe that would be easier. I think it's having those tools and those resources to fire quick when those days inevitably come, or those thoughts inevitably come. So in the book, we talk about finding a mentor. And I'm lucky enough that my mentor, I'm able to be mentored by him face-to-face, in person. I see him at least once a week, if not more. But the cool thing about this day and age is that there's lots of books out there that you can read that to be mentored by other people that are living the life you want to live. There's YouTube, there's webinars, there's courses, there's trainings, there's... Heck, TikTok now has mentors on there that you can be reaching out to and learning. And I think it's just... You have to be so crystal clear on that big why. If your subconscious mind isn't clear and you don't have those tools... Ready to go for when you have those days and those thoughts and those doubts, you're going to fall back into that crumb. It's inevitable. Yeah. So just, yeah.
0: No, I think that that's so true. And you mentioned several books that you have really been impacted by, many of which I've, I've read myself. You know, why are reading books such a great way to tackle some of this mindset shift? And, you know, you mentioned in the book in the past, you kind of were like, whatever, self help books. <laughs> That's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> but but you had a shift. Which of the maybe give us a highlight of one or two of the books that you really have impacted you help you make those shifts?
1: Yeah. So the first one is Be Obsessed or Be Average by Grant Cardone. It's the first growth book that I've ever read. And I actually listened to it on Audible. I can remember driving my car, finishing it, and just like sitting in silence for the next twenty minutes and going, Holy crap, I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I know nothing. That humbled me. I need to get it together and do what needs to be done. The other book would be Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Mm -hmm. That's where I really learned in depth about the subconscious mind and what's kind of you know intrigued me to do more research on it and learn about it and and become really well-versed in it as well. And again, that was one. I finished it on a plane for that one. And I go, holy crap. Every time I think I know something, I pick up another book and I go, wow, (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) I, I know nothing. So it's just continuing to push yourself. I mean, who are you going to listen to? Someone who wrote this book, Grant Cardone is a, you know, he's worth, I think he's worth almost a billion dollars now, has multiple successful businesses, living the life by design. Am I going to listen to him or am I going to listen to the naysayers who are telling me that I am too big for my britches and who do I think I am?
0: Right. And that's so true. And one of the things that I observe when we do that to ourselves is where we don't kind of take care of ourselves. And that's why your book's so important. I'm so glad you're writing this book at such a young age because I think so many people think that somehow when someday comes, it's just gonna magically shift. But from what you've described, uh, you even mentioned the book Blue Fishing by uh, Steve Sims.
1: I love He's that book. <laughs> such a great
0: book. He actually was, he was a guest on episode 19, which is really the beginning of my podcast about the art of making things happen.
1: Uh, mm-hmm.
0: When you hear inspirational stories of people who maybe didn't always have something and now they do, you get inspired. What inspiration do you hope you deliver to people who are reading your book?
1: Yeah. So I hope that through reading my book and, and learning about my story, whether you're listening to this podcast, that's the first time you're hearing about me and, you know, maybe you've heard about me a few times or read my book already. I think it's just knowing that it, it really does not matter where you come from. You know, like I said, I grew up in a small town without money. You touched on it briefly at the very beginning. I'm a college dropout, fired from every single job. In another life, I could have very easily been working at, you know, McDonald's for $15 an hour when I was 45 years old and not have any sort of aspirations or anything like that could have easily happened for me. I think that it's just recognizing that despite the fact that all these things that were laid out in front of me, that obstacles and challenges that should have been what held me back, you just have to push them aside and not stop for anything until you reach that extraordinary life in whatever way that looks like for you.
0: Yeah. And I think that's great. I think definitely if you're listening to this, if you're inspired already, you're going to be inspired by the book for sure. Before we go, I want to talk a little bit about the writing process because Mm -hmm. not only are you a busy real estate agent. You also have other businesses you're building and trying to grow your wealth. How is this process of writing a book for you? Because it's for me and the people that I've helped, it's unlike any other thing they've tried. Tell us more about what you thought a book, writing a book would be like and what was it like for you?
1: It's hard. <laughs> it's really hard, but it's it's so fulfilling. And anybody who knows me personally knows that I'm not a very emotional person, but this book made me emotional. Right. I mean, it's like pretty much pouring your entire soul out onto paper and putting it out in the universe and just hoping people like it. Yeah, I think that was the the emotional. I don't want to say draining, but the emotional toll it took on me, I think, was the hardest part. I mean, fitting the writing into my schedule with my businesses and real estate and stuff. I mean, there was a lot of late nights. There was a lot of, you know, writing on my computer until two or three in the morning, and then getting up the next day at seven o'clock to go to the office, and then you know, doing it all over again the next day, editing something for eight hours straight only to think, oh my gosh, I'm only 40% of the way done. Right. Um, it's just hard work. But for me, it was the emotional toll. But I'm like super proud of everything that we've done. Myself and, and your team as well too, that we've been able to, I'm hoping really impact a lot of people and change their lives as well.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I know it's been a great process. It's been inspiring. Even when when books had to change or you had to, re you know, the rewrites are the hardest part because you realize, Mm -hmm. oh, I wrote a book and now you're asking me to do it again. And essentially, (laughs) you're rewriting a book, you're starting over or reassembling it because you want the book to be good. So you're committed to it. If you had any advice for someone who's aspiring to be an author, what would it be?
1: I would say that you just need to do it and find someone accountable that can hold you accountable to it. If I wouldn't have reached out to Azul, we would not be talking right now about my book in a couple of months. There's no way that I would have done it on my own. And just having the, even if we just got on the call every single week, regardless of the coaching me through how to write it, and you just said, okay, how many words did you write? Having that accountability would have completely changed things for me. In the way, if you know, if I didn't have that, I, I just truly don't think I would have a book right now. So and that goes with anything, right? You need to state what your what your goal is and you need to find the people who are gonna help you make it happen and then make them hold you accountable to it.
0: Right. And it is it is a process, right? It is something unusual. Most people we, we all know how to write, which is just one or after word after the other. The right. part we don't know how to navigate is how do I deal with these emotions that show up that I wasn't expecting. They have nothing to do about writing.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: how do I conquer these because they seem so real and yet, you know, if you're committed to your your why why you're writing this book that's what I usually really want to know is why you're doing this what is in it for you if you just if you want to help people i say just walk out your door and knock on your neighbor's door and say can i help it's a much easier job than helping people by writing a book you can have more impact but but you have to be really really committed to it and i think that's what you have done here i want to encourage everyone to go and purchase project badass break out of your comfort zone to transform your average to extraordinary and you know what's great about that is i think the more people get to know you, the more inspired they'll be to realize that they're just moments away from their extraordinary life. So thank you so much, Madison, for being here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. I know the book has been so inspirational to me, even though I'm old enough probably to be your father, but I am still inspired <laughs> by you. And that's incredible. So thank you for coming on the show.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. It's been my pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening again to another episode of Authors Who Lead. We appreciate you being here and we hope you subscribe. So you get this delivered to your device every week. And if you haven't left us a review, please do so. It really helps. And if you have a book in your heart, you've been wanting to write a book, please go to authorswholead.com and join us on this journey of becoming a published author.